Welcome back to Season 2 of the Eddie Jones Coaching Podcast. I'm Conor O'Shea. We're kicking off the new season with a name familiar to England fans and a man Eddie knows well. No, no, you've misread it. No, misread That's okay. It. That's okay. I, was, I, I, had to, I had to clarify. I had to clarify that one. Look, we, we, we speak the la- same language. How we get there, uh, we believe in a lot of the same things, but how we get there is vastly different. Yes, the former England and now Australia tech coach Scott Weisermantle joins us talking about what it's like working with Eddie, his favourite Rugby World Cup moments, and a coaching journey that has taken him all over the world. Let's get into it. Scott, yes. thanks, uh, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us. Myself and Eddie over the last number of weeks have been, we've just been just shooting the breeze, really talking about rugby. Which without any rugby going on up here, it's actually nice to be able to talk a bit of rugby. But it's beginning, life beginning to tr- return back to normal. So really appreciate you coming on and, and chatting and maybe just sharing a few experiences. But what is it like down in Australia? Outside in, it looks like uh, it's pretty normal. But there's a bit of a bit of a spike at the moment. But pretty normal down there. What's it been like down there? No, look, it's been good. Uh, I mean, if you say normal, I mean, the only thing I'm focused on is the rugby. So it's good that they're back playing. Um, yes. Scott, uh, Scott, we'll kind of bounce between myself and Eddie, but maybe I'll just go to, to Eddie. Uh, you know, over the years, he's worked with a lot of people, but he's gone back to you on a, on a couple of occasions that have been massive in his, in his career. And I'm thinking Japan, I'm thinking England uh, over the last... Eddie, what... What attracted you to to Scott uh, when when looking at someone within those systems? To to what did he bring to that coaching team that you wanted? I first remember meeting wise when I uh, started coaching at Ramwick. I went in and saw Boxhead O'Shea. At, remember you in Kensington, Wisey? Uh, I was at Kensington and Kingsford in the uh, eastern suburbs of yeah, Sydney. Yeah, that's and it. Wisey yeah. was an apprentice apprentice coach there. AIS apprentice coach. Uh, and there's a lot of value in that in that particular scheme of having a apprentice coach, which was uh, proved uh, pretty fruitful for Australia. And Wisey was just this enthusiastic, wanted to learn, and a good bloke. Um, and he brings that to every team. You know, he wants the players to get better. He's a servant to the players. It's not about him. It's about what he can bring to the team. He works hard for you. He works hard for the team, and he's a good bloke to have around. He's one of those blue blokes who keeps people together, through sometimes through his antics, sometimes through his knowledge, which is not a bad combination. We won't talk about his antics today. <laughs> <laughs> can we? Can we uh, talk about his legendary his legendary surfing? Can we? Oh, mate, there hasn't been much going on at the moment there, Connor. It's been um, yeah, nose to the grindstone. But no, no, it's, look, it's, um, the, the thing for me, what attracts me to, to working for Eddie is the fact that you always know you're going to learn. Um, and the other thing is that even though uh, we can have our debates and our disputes and our arguments and all the rest of it, the thing I love about Eddie is the fact that um, uh, very, very quickly uh, and, and, and in the matter of less than an hour, it's forgotten, you're on to the next task. It's just do your job. It's been said, now get your job done. And I, and I think that's a really good skill. I think a lot of people hang on to things um, in professional sport. I'm not just talking about rugby, but they hang on to things rather than go, okay, all right, we've had a good debate. We've, we've, we see each other's opinion, but now we've got to get on with it. What's the way forward? So I, I, I really enjoy that. And when you have that debate, and obviously there's one boss, 
So you yeah. have that debate, and there's an attacking philosophy or an attacking uh, or a game philosophy that you want and that you feel really strongly about. But then, and there has to be times through the years that it's been Eddie's way, not your way. How how do you then really get that across? Because if you don't really believe in it, or if you are fundamentally against, has that has that occasion arisen that you've been so fundamentally against, but you've still gone through with something? No, no, not really. Because you have the debate, and then and and as long as you you present your case well, and then um, you know that Eddie's going to present his case well, so you have to have the counter argument. And then at the end of the day, you actually come up with a, a pretty clear vision. And if anything, it actually gives you greater clarity. By having that, that, um, that discussion, you end up with greater clarity because you end up on the same page. Mm. And what then going into, I, I would look at you, Scott, and I look at the different environments that you've been in, whether it be Japan, Australia, France, England, uh, Samoa for a little period, uh, for, for a World Cup. And I look at the outside going, wow, completely different. Now you talk about learning, but completely different uh, historical cultures and how to play a game and how to teach and how to learn. Uh, how have you adapted in each of those? When you go in for short windows, maybe, like a you know into Samoa, or you have the long windows where you can really ingrain your philosophy. How have you... How have you learnt and how have you adapted in all of those places? I think the skill is um, learning about the person first. So whoever you're coaching, learn about them, learn what makes them tick, and then you can coach the player. So you have to you have to you have to coach the person first and learn about them, and then you can coach the player. So that's probably the biggest learning. And I learned that early doors. Uh, I did I did um, my first real coaching stint was in Japan. And, and because you don't understand the language and I couldn't speak the language, it meant that you had to be concise, you had to get the point across very, very quickly and you actually had to form a relationship where there was verbal but most of your relationship was through, through body language and visual cues. So it was a really good learning. I remember, and you won't even remember this, I met him for a coffee when I, when I went to Italy uh, in Richmond, he, he gave me he gave me a half an hour, uh, an hour of his time. We had a coffee, and he, I said, you know, language talked about Japan a little bit, and he said exactly what you said, Scott. You have to be concise because he said the first time that I went to Japan, if I told the dog to sit, it might do something completely different. Beginning with S, <laughs> so uh, I, I learned very I learned very quickly. Be, be be very concise in what you're saying. It's it's a it's a help. Um, Eddie, you've kind of answered this then, and, and Scott's alluded to it and what he's talking about. It's, it's just fascinating for me, f- flipping from one culture to another. But in the Japan role, obviously Scott was immersed in the Japanese culture previously, so you knew what he would bring, and he probably had the language by then. Uh, what did you see him bring into your England team? Why him? Uh, if I just yeah, if I go back to Japan first, um, there's a few Maori. Japanese guy, yeah, it was a bit of an icon player, but never fulfilled his potential and, and didn't generally like foreigners. And when Wisey came in the squad, because for the first two years, it was just Wisey and our strength and conditioning coach, John Pryor, three of us coaching, you know, so communication was easy. We had a lot of fun um, and we worked, we worked really hard. 
But Goran Mari didn't like foreigners and particularly didn't like, didn't take a shining the wise to start with. But Wisey just kept that. He kept improving his game. And I remember when Wisey had to leave because uh, he was living in a caravan, um, which is another story which maybe he doesn't want to tell today. No, I'll tell. I'll, I'll, I'll tell that one. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to come back to that one. Yes. So anyway, the last last day there, we, we played a game, had a bit of a drink that night. And I remember Goran Mari getting up and crying his eyes out, saying how much wise he had brought to him. And it was just, it showed the effect a coach can have on a, on a player and a team. And with England, look, he came in, he thinks, you know, we think differently, but we think the same. And I needed someone to support in that attack area. And, and he did a great job, immediately established the relationship with, with George and Owen, who were obviously key players. And they had their differences. Um, but they worked it out, and again, he brought that energy, uh, knowledge, and that ability to bring people together. Are we going? Are, are we going? Are we going back to the caravan? Because I think I'd be quite interested in that one. <laughs> oh, look! You know, I think in every coach's <laughs> life, you have to make some decisions whether it's um, whether you're going to fall in love with Eddie or you're going to fall in love with your <laughs> wife. So, yeah, I've a fair bit of time. Away. And, um, I can't, and I come home, Connor, and. Um, I'd gone from the big house to a, a very little house, which was a caravan down in the back of the farm. And um, I had to make a decision whether it was the family or Eddie. And, 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 you know, when I told Eddie, he said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Anyway, so you've got you to choose one or the other, mate. So, but, uh... go, I, I go in, I'll ask you about the Japan, uh, the Japan period then, just with... Gamaru, I've never pronounced the name, but we'll get the we'll get the goal kicking right. Um, when you deal with, I mean, is it easier to go into a group who've got this massive, massive ability to learn and become better because you make strides very quickly? But when you go into, and we'll go into the England group with you then, uh, Scott, and you're dealing with those. I'd say top end players, but you're dealing with Owen George, who've been around a long time at the top. And the challenge is completely different. So, how do you how do you go about what 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 is your first port to call with those different level of players? Oh, look, I think the mindset's the same in that you have to. Your job as a coach is to make them better. And I remember Eddie said to me one day, he said, "How are you going to make um, George and Owen better? You know, what what can they do better? What are they currently?" just okay at and what can they do better and and we agreed that it was it was to do with the speed of their hands the ball getting out of their hands so we used to do a lot a lot of passing which was how quick they could get it out of their hands with no consequence no consequence so it was a game to see how fast they could get it in their hands and out of their hands so I, I think whether you're dealing with a, a team that was you know I mean Japan were outside the top 10 at that stage um, and our goal was to be a top 10 nation or in England where you know, you're a real chance to win a World Cup. I think the mindset's the same of how you're going to improve each individual, and then, and the 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 I suppose the the rub off of that is that the team gets better. And, and do you, do you then within your attacking philosophy, do you set an attacking philosophy? And there are players because there are some players that outside of the environment, and it's typical, let's say, with the media, will big up the name of certain players that they bring incredible skill sets to a team, but they don't fit your attacking philosophy. Do you look for the players that fit your attacking philosophy or how do you, how do you get, get the best players, create your philosophy, or the other way around? 
I think um, you you got to get your best players. So I, I, I firmly believe get your best players in there, the guys who who are the best performers, and then you can adapt around them. Um, the other thing I will say about a lot of players, and, and you hear it a lot in different sports, is they always say, yeah, they're, they're good at this, but, and then they talk about the, the points that they're poor at. Now, when players practice extras, it seems to be always go to the poor points. But uh, we tended to work a little differently. We go, okay, they're, they're very good at um, a certain aspect of the game. Let's make them outstanding at it. Let, let's make them world's best. So let's train what they're good at, make them great, whilst we continue to chip away at those other areas where we, um, we can make improvements that they're not so good at. So I think that's an, another point of difference with the, the way we thought. Yeah, I think that, that focus on the super strengths of people and delivering what you're good at as opposed to... Now, I've learned something incredible this morning because I thought the surfing caravanning guy who went all over the world would be a completely different personality to Eddie Jones. But you were saying you two are very similar. Have I misread oh, that? No, no, you've misread it. No, misread that's okay, it. that's okay. I, was, I, I, had to, I had to clarify. I had to clarify uh, that one. We, we, look, we, we, we speak the la- same language. How we get there, uh, we believe in a lot of the same things, but how we get there is vastly different, vastly different. Um, I'm probably a more experience, experiential sort of learner, whereas Eddie's a very evidence-based, yeah, methodical about his process. So, so talk, Eddie, talk, talk to me about that when you, as you've grown up on that coaching with, with Scott, uh, has that ever led to, well, it would have led to clashes, obviously, in the old sport, but th- that different way of learning and that different way of teaching and getting things across, uh, has that ever led to clashes uh, as you learnt about each other? How did you learn about each other as coaches then? Uh, well, I think it's just a big bit of give and take, mate. Uh, Wise is a uh, a great giver. Um, you know, he gives a lot of your time, gives a lot of his time, a lot of his information. He's because when I was a young coach, I wanted everyone to be like me. You know, and and you learn that people don't operate like that. And um, you know, having coaches with with a different way of approaching things is so important. You learn about that. Like having Wisey and Steve together is a great combination. Uh, you know, Steve wants detail. He wants certainty. He's analytical. Um, you know, wants things in advance. Wisey wants to fly by the seat of his pants. Let's grab the board and go for a surf now. You know, and, and it's good to have because if you're all the same way, um, it leads to a uniformity of thinking. And what you want is a diversity in thinking because that eventually gives you the best result. Undoubtedly. And, and do you think, Eddie, and, and, and Scott, either one, do you think an attack specialist coach, if that's what you like, you can coach everything, but if, you're, if, you're, if your specialism is really an attack in that backline attack, is it necessary to have that free spirit or do you need that structure? I mean, maybe I, I don't know how he coaches, but I'd imagine oh. maybe Stephen Larkham. Uh, people that you, someone you both know well, would he be the ACT, very analytical, uh, structured type of coach versus, so is it necessary to be a free spirit to be an attack coach? Uh, look, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so because there's all different types. It's, it's, it's how you get your message across. That's the big thing. So that's coaching. If you, uh, I, I've seen lots of really, really good coaches who are unbelievable at theory. 
um, yet can't coach on the field because they can't get their point across. So what's in your head, you have to be able to get across to the players so they see the concept and there's absolute clarity. Um, how you do it, it's, it's varied. Eddie? Yeah, no, no, I agree with what Wisey said. The other, the other thing I think is important, Connor, as an attack coach, you've got to have courage because you've got to be prepared to be different. Because if you keep cop- copying what's successful, all you become is like a, a second-rate version of what's the best is. And so you've got to look at what's happening at the moment and then envisage where you can take it. And to do that, you've got to make some mistakes. You know, and, and attack's always a balance between having some, some frameworks and, and, and having the freedom to make decisions and, and uh, see, see the best option to play, you know. So ultimately, attack coach, what are they they're coaching? They're coaching the players to communicate. They're coaching the players to make decisions and then they're, they're helping them with their execution. And just going back, going on that communication, uh, Scott, uh, do you have any any initial funny stories from your time? In that, were, you, were you able to speak French when you went to France first? Uh, were you able to see, you, you said you couldn't speak Japanese, so are you still able to speak French? There's another question. Uh, but. Yes, I was going to say, I was, look, my French was pretty poor. But, yeah, look, the French system is a totally different kettle of fish. It's, uh, it's different. I mean, um, um, you know, the difference between a home game and a away game, who you're playing, who the referee, there's so many factors. Um, if it rains... If someone's broken up with their girlfriend, if they've had a bad meal the night before, there's just, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a massive amount of factors in that. But I think for me, one of the big, biggest coaching, um, the learning experiences was actually with the England team. It was with, um, with Johnny May. We're in Portugal and we were, we were practicing uh, before we played Ireland in the first Six Nations game. And we were running a, a play where we came back down the, the blind side and, and, um, We'd drawn it up, as you do, and we'd walked it through, as you do, and every time Johnny missed the line, like he just didn't show up. Um, so Eddie said, um, you know, Johnny doesn't understand it, so what are you going to do about it? And I'm, I couldn't work it out, just could not work it out. Because um, he said, and, he, and Eddie was right, he said, if Johnny doesn't understand it, you haven't coached it well enough, which is true. And in the end, what we did is, we found that um, there was four of them that used to play chess all the time. There was Manu Tuyalangi, there was Ma- there was Johnny May, there was George Cruz, and Joe Launchbury. What an odd couple! Oh, what an odd four! Sorry. Um, so I didn't um, want to say I didn't want to say that. Yeah, yeah, and he so, couldn't say it either. <laughs> no, no, but I, I can, I can. Um, so yeah, but but it was bizarre because you'd see them um, of an evening and they'd all be playing chess. Um, so that was the answer. Um, so what we did was basically take the map that we had, take out four numbers, one being Johnny's number, and then it became a game of chess for him. And then that's that to me was an unbelievable learning. So I learned so much in that process because I went, okay, for a guy who you know sees things by numbers and, and, and sees things differently, then that's how you have to go about um, presenting it to him so he understands. It's good to know that we've learned that Johnny May is different. That's that's a that's a nice thing to take yeah, away. From I was going to say that. <laughs> 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 I love you, Johnny. 
anyway. Um, and then as you, I mean, that was a test week. So what, what balance do you, uh, and Eddie's answered this before, but he can come in again, the balance between coaching the individual, coaching the team, coaching the unit in a test week and the pressure of a test week, and then some are miles bigger and more pressurized than others. What, what's your balance? Do you, are you, do you have most of your work done well before that? How, how do you structure your week in your mind? Uh, in my mind, it's, it's, it's about clarity on every level. So you, you have clarity in your units. So then that transfers into your team so they know what they're doing. And then if there's any cracks in there, then you pick up the pieces with the individuals. So, and that's the coach's job. You have to then chase it up, make sure there's absolute clarity that there's confidence because once you get clarity, you get confidence. So um, that's, that's probably the process. So, you, you know, you, you mix that units into team and then the individuals, if there's, if there's little pickups, then that's the coach's job to chase that. How do you analyse yourself then? How do you analyse your own performance? Is that Eddie talking to you, uh, challenging you? Do you challenge yourself? So what's your process of review? Geez, sometimes it's frightening, Connor, I tell you, when you look at yourself. Uh, it's a frightening process. No, no, look, I, I always, um, at the end of the week, I review the week before before we've ever played, so over Friday evening. And, and Eddie actually um, spoke about this process a long time ago, and I, I remember it and I thought some things won't resonate with coaches, but that one resonated with me where I look back at my week and I go from Monday through to Friday, what have I done? Have I got the message across? Was it clear? Um, how did I coach? You know, was I, was, I, was I up for that session? Was I at my best? Um, and sometimes you're not going to be at your best. But if you're not at your best, then you have to ask why. So why? Did you not get enough sleep? Um, were you not well planned enough? Um, so that's probably the process for me. After that, I'm pretty comfortable because that, that, what, that, what that gave me of a Friday evening, it gave me confidence for the game day. So your body language gives away a lot. Um, so, you know, I, I felt really good on a Saturday. I, I felt, okay, we got this. So... Um, Look, I, I, it might be hippie talk. I don't know, but that's the that was the process that I went through, so that on game day I could be I could be confident and, and give off good body language. Eddie, just how do you work and go go to the World Cup? It's New Zealand. It's it's this well, it's New Zealand. It's the final, whatever. It's this big game, and all the coaches want their piece of the action. What are your conversations with the coaches balanced in, fellas, we need to do the work, we need to do the detail because we're now preparing in one week for this game versus take your foot off the pedal here, guys. So where where are you in those conversations leading into big games with your coaching team? Uh, well, right at the start of the week, which will be the Sunday, we'll just prioritise what's important and then everything comes from that. What are the three things we need to beat New Zealand? prioritise those and then make sure we're focusing on those areas and, and everyone's got to buy into that. Everyone has to say, you know, those conversations, that initial meeting can sometimes be quite difficult because, you know, whenever you've got people coaching a certain area, they want their area to be a priority and sometimes it's not. Um, and then they have to find a way to be productive to support another player. So, for instance, with New Zealand, it was really important that we attacked a certain way against them, um, that we didn't open the game up too much. And, and uh, so Wisey's role in that week was absolutely crucial. But just getting back to Wisey's French, French, Wisey's French has always been important. We had this coach at 
with Japan, Mark Del Masso, who's like the Monet of coaches. I've never seen the guy. He's, he's the best coach I've ever worked with. He could see things other people couldn't see, but he's also very temperamental, extremely temperamental. And so we used to go each other a fair bit and he'd storm off in his French way. Then why he'd have to go up and fetch you? And Wise, his French came into a lot of uh, a lot of useful experience there, didn't it, Wisey? Yeah, okay. So, Connor, I know where the boss is going here, so I'll expand on it. So, after one meeting, I went up there to Mark's room, knocked on his door, and he said, "Come in." And he didn't he had he didn't have a, a stitch of clothing on. He was like a, a pluck chook. There wasn't a feather on him. And he, in being French, there was nothing wrong with that. He said, come sit, sit next to me on my bed and, and, and started to talk and uh, all the rest of it, all the while being nude. It was an extremely uncomfortable 15 minutes sitting there listening to Mark vent about Eddie. But out of that, we came up with a little strategy. Every, um, every week, we'd wander the streets for 15, 20 minutes of, of Tokyo. And like Eddie said, he was a, he's an absolutely brilliant, brilliant coach. Um, I remember one of his sessions where he was talking about not only the um, not only weight going through the scrum, but the balance on top of the scrum. And then all of a sudden, Mark just jumps on top of the scrum and starts crawling around the scrum. Brilliant, brilliant guy, brilliant guy. I I, I think we can both trump each other when it comes to to language. One of my um, one of my first interviews on television, I was asked by uh, in Italy. I was asked by the the TV presenter about the forwards of the pack and how well they had done and uh, all I'd heard Gian Piero De Carli are the, the forwards coach great great Italian international as well uh, all the players just call him Chicho which is a term of endearment called fatty but I didn't realize it was fatty so asked on television I decided to, to paraphrase in English I just said well fatty's done a really good job with the forwards I said, Chicho's done that. I went back into the dressing room and the players were in hysterics because they were getting loads of messages saying, he's just called him fatty on TV. <laughs> but you have to try. They like, they like you trying. Um, the uh, build-up to the, the World Cup final, and actually the World Cup in general for both of you, uh, the last time you've worked together, uh, what are the standout moments on or off the pitch as a coaching team dealing with players? Are there, are there standout moments in that World Cup? Because it was, it was, it was a special journey. And maybe you could go back to 2015 and, and relate it to some of the moments you had there. It could be either one. But are there any standout moments as coaches with players or in general? Go on. Okay. Um, I, I, I just – I really enjoyed the process. I, I enjoyed – and I'm talking about in the – the World Cup in Japan with um, with England. I I thoroughly enjoyed the fact that um, I thought Eddie was at the top of his game, both um, from a coaching point of view, but just the balance of, of the program. I thought the program was put together really, really well. For me personally, um, we used to have um, little little sort of playbook meetings um, and it was the it was the three three Fs. Um, so Ford, Francis, Farrell. And we'd, we'd wander off and just talk about um, the next opposition. And I remember um, we were in Miyazaki and we had one really, really good one before the Australia game. Um, I went for a run early in the morning and I found a, a little shrine, a temple. And, and I actually thought, I wonder if these boys have actually been to a shrine, uh, a temple. So anyway, I grabbed the car and, and we went there and we did our playbook meeting at this shrine. 
and, and I just left them to it. And for me, there was a snapshot, and I don't have a photo of it. I think one of the boys might have taken a photo. I don't know. But I, I walked, walked away, and I looked back, and I saw the three of them there um, discussing the playbook, what we might play, debating it. And I saw the setting, and I thought, this is, this is unreal. This is, this is why Beautiful. you do the job. It was amazing. Yeah, so that, for me, that was a standout moment. Gee, Eddie, you're going to do well to beat that one. That actually is the hairs on the back of my neck. I love that. Very nice. Great story. Uh, no, I haven't got anything as good as that. Uh, <laughs> what, what I enjoyed about the World Cup was the struggle. Like, we went to Treviso and, you know, we trained against your boys one day and we trained pretty hard there in, in relatively oppressive conditions. But then the players were also trying to sort things out off the field and there were still some underlying fractures there from the 2015 World Cup. But out of that struggle came a stronger team and I've got no doubt it just reinforces that whenever you're coaching a team, if you don't have struggle in the process, you're not going to build the team as strong as it can be. And, you know, I've been coaching a fair while, but just reinforced how important it is. And I... And then I watch teams, you know, just over this period of time. And you see the teams that their coaches deliberately put them in difficult situations. And they're the teams now, they don't need the fans cheering them on. They just play hard every week. And you see the other teams, they're up and down. I'll just go back to that. And why, as you'll remember in Treviso, we had a few ups and downs with the, with the team. Um, yeah. But I remember saying to them, I said, something good's going to come of this. Um, and it didn't happen straight away, but it eventually happened. And it was just, yeah. Okay. Um, I think maybe a couple of questions, and gee, we could talk. We could talk all day. And, and, and Scott, I just, I love the energy you give off. Uh, just even, even coming on early, late at night is just, uh, it's, it's awesome. But a few questions that have uh, come in from uh, people, and uh, it's more a plain question, but both of you can answer this question. You've kind of talked about the three Fs there, uh, Scott, uh, from Johnny on Twitter, not Johnny Wilkinson. Uh, it could be, but he's Johnny asked... Ma- uh, it's not Johnny May, is it? Uh, not spelt the right way, so I'll, I'll get that one. May. He's chasing <laughs> you, <laughs> is he? He's, he's, he's got eyes and ears everywhere, Johnny, I tell you. He, well, yeah. well, this, John, this it could be Johnny. Or, it, it, hey, could, it, it could be, because uh, he said, what attributes are you looking for in a fly half? So that could be Johnny May. That could be Johnny May. It could be, it could be. Well, Johnny did play fly half. We saw um, before he, we left England, they showed um, the clips of their junior rugby and he was a fly half and it was an ordinary clip. But anyway, thank God he ended up a winger. Um, <laughs> attributes for a fly half. Look, they've got to be a triple threat. Um, so in other words, they have to be able to run, pass and kick. So I tend to find that we end up with a lot of fly halves these days that are, that are good passers, good kickers, good strategically, but they're not a threat to the line. The best fly halves are a threat. They're a triple threat. Um, they control the game. I know Eddie likes to call them the, the conductor because they do. They move the team around the field. But for me, from a skill point of view, triple threat, run, pass, kick. Eddie? Yeah, 100%. Such an important thing. You know, we talk about the options position. Every time you catch the ball, you've got to have the option of, of passing, running or kicking. And then, as Wisey said, they've got to be the conductor. They've got to find the right way. And they're also, sometimes, they've got to be the bus driver. They've got to make the decision of where to go and bring the rest of the team with them. Um, 
So it's it's the most complex role in a in a rugby team. And and Scott, dependent on opposition, would that then determine your selection philosophy on your 10, 12, 13? Like sometimes you see the two playmakers, sometimes you see the, the traditional 10, but you have your 12 and 13 who are bigger, stronger carriers. Is that just all dependent on what you see in front of you? Or is it a, for you, would it be a one-size-fits-all? No, no, I think it is. I think, you know, you saw that example with the Australia game where we, we started with Owen, um, Manu at 12 and, and Slady at 13. So horses for courses because Australia were going to play all out attack. That was that was that was stated early doors. You know, in the pool games they weren't going to kick much. They were just going to play direct. They were going to play, play, play. So we thought that 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 configuration could suffocate. Now the last twenty minutes of that game, that was a masterclass in a in a in a substitute player, a finisher, coming on and closing the game. What George did there was absolutely brilliant. Um, so I think it, you, you, you can, if you've got the depth in your rugby team, you can mix and match depending on the opposition. Uh, going back to a couple of questions to finish off, uh, Eddie, you can answer this one first uh, to give Scott a little bit of a brain break. Um, who's had the This is from uh, Rachel Worcester. Who's had the biggest impact on your attacking philosophy? Uh, for me, it's, it's quite simple. Bob Dwyer. Um, yeah, he was ahead of his time. There's a great story, Wise, he tells about it. So, Wise, you could tell that in, in, in your story. He was just so uh, insistent on being brilliant at the basics. And then he had some simple fundamentals of how you played the game. And and you watch the game today, those all of those things still ring true. Um, but he always liked to change things as well. I can remember we played for, for Randwick... Uh, we won the minor premiership by 15 points. And for some reason, for the grand finals, the last game, he decides to change the 10 and the 15. So he puts this Fiji and a Thura, a Thura and the Keela at 10. He couldn't speak English, couldn't talk. Puts him at 10 and knocks him back at 15. We're down 30 nil at half time. He changes him again. We get beaten 36 nil, And it just shows you that you got to have some courage to make changes, and sometimes you get it wrong. Um, but you've got to believe in what you do, and and that was the that was the brilliance of his coaching. I'm assuming Noxie said nothing about that selection at any stage today. <laughs> he was difficult to handle, mate. <laughs> uh, Scott, same same question to you. Yeah, look, I was lucky enough to work under Bob as well, so I'd probably say Bob, and, and then the chats I have with Eddie, because it's always. There's always a challenge, and we talk a lot about union, league, um, and it's always around what, what are you seeing, where do you think the game's going. Um, back to that Bob Dwyer story. So Bob, <clears throat> um, extremely passionate man. He, look, he had, a, he had a heart attack in Blenheim. It was a trial game against the Crusaders, and we were working for the New South Wales Waratahs. And he's had a heart attack, and they're, they're taking him out of the stands on a stretcher. And whilst they're taking him out, he's yelling at me going, Tell him to stay square. Tell him to stay square. <laughs> hands out. Hands out. Yeah, so that's that's Bob, you know. Um, <laughs> absolute uh, lunatic. Um, last, last question, Scott, uh, from Dave. And you, you can lead this one. Uh, with the way defences have changed the last few years, what has that meant for you as an attack coach? 
I think um, a couple of things. You've got to have a better kicking game because you've got to break those defences up around the ball. So uh, from that, you gain momentum. And you can break the defence up through your kicking game. I think the other thing is your alignment. Um, so getting away from traditional alignments of equidistant spacing, that type of thing. So having people who start on your inside hip, finish on your outside hip, have runners at the line, multiple runners at the line, multiple threats, that slows the defence. It sits people on their heels. So I think if you get those two things right, then you can start to put a system in place. Paddy? Yeah, well, I think it's the you know, opportunity, as well as you said, is, is now to attack gaps because what line speed's brought is, is defenders are fairly equal distance. So as well as you said, you don't want to attack to be equal distance because then you're just running in their channel and it's easy for them to defend. So the, the attack will evolve to have a variety of, of depth and alignment, but also that the variety of the, in your passing and, and support play. Now, one of the things that's gone out of the game is support play, um, and that's going to come back in. That's going to come back into the game because everything's become pattern orientated or become more positional orientated. Over the next period of time, we're already seeing that evolve a little bit at the moment. Yeah. Well, listen, guys, I, I have I have one last question for Scott. Uh, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant seeing the energy between you two guys. Honestly, you can see they, they talk about bonds between players, but you can actually see uh, why you guys have worked together. But last question, Eddie won't be surprised at this. Nathan, uh, who's done a bit of research for us, was sending a bit of information through about Scott and his career and everything like that. He said. One of the notes he said, um, he's 49 or 50, but I can't find a date of birth anywhere. <laughs> yep, um, it's called no. Peter Pan. It's called Peter Pan syndrome, Connor. Yeah, that's exactly right. Peter Pan, mate. Peter Pan. So yep. I won't ask the question, but Scott, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and joining us this morning, and it'd be great to see you again soon. Yeah, lovely to see you, Connor. Take it easy. See you, Eddie. See you, mate. Go to your eyes, you will chat. Thanks, see Connor. You. Good work, see you guys. Bye-bye. That's it for the return of the Eddie Jones Coaching Podcast. Thanks to Scott for joining us and thanks for your time. Please keep your reviews and ratings coming wherever you listen and make sure you subscribe to get all the latest episodes. And if you leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, you will be in with a chance to win a signed England shirt from all the squad at the end of the series. Next week, we'll be chatting with former Ireland head coach Joe Schmidt. We'll see you then.